We're at Acts chapter 9. We're going to study today the life of a man that we have been studying as far as his letters on Sunday mornings. But now we're going to dig deep, dive deep into his own personal life as he's showing us through 2 Corinthians on Sunday. But now we get to see a little bit more of an overview of Paul's life. And we're going to study Paul's life because he had a life of effective ministry. And if there's a life that you want to study, if there's a life that I want to be like, or I want to emulate, or I want to learn from, is a life of someone who had effective ministry. Because I don't want to just be in ministry or serve the Lord with my life, or say that I'm doing one thing or another for the Lord. I want it to be effective ministry for God. And that should be all of our desire. I mean, Paul was a man that was so persistent, that was so now even patient. He was so courageous. He was uncompromising. He yielded to the Spirit of God. He was a man that through him gave us most of, the, the Holy Spirit gave us most of the New Testament. We have 14 epistles and letters that he makes up most of the New Testament because Paul was a man that penned through the Holy Spirit these letters that me and you read as epistles that make up the New Testament. He was a Jewish man, we know that, with a Roman citizenship. He was a religious leader, right? The, the, the cream of the crop when it came to the Jewish law. He studied under the most prestigious people and he knew the Mosaic law. He knew it. But we see here that God uses the most uncommon persons and people for His glory. Just think about us right here. Isn't it crazy to know that God uses our lives? When I read and I study the life of Paul, I see a man that was persecuting the church, that was against advocating against Christ, and now he's being used to serve the Lord with his life. We think about what you were doing before you started to serve the Lord. Where you were headed, your life, your aspirations, your dreams, what was important to you, your priorities before you started to serve the Lord. And the Lord transformed your life and now you're here on a midweek study on a Wednesday night <laughs> studying God's Word because you want Him to use you. Right? This is the testimony of Paul and this is the testimony that me and you can have as well and that we have in Jesus Christ. You know that Paul died as a, as a martyr, Right? He was always in prison from one prison to the other, running away from those that wanted to seek his life. There was a time in Acts where we see that people bound themselves under an oath that they said, we're not going to eat or we're not going to drink until Paul is dead. <laughs> you think about that. And Paul knew that some would say, you know, we're not going to eat or drink until his life is dead because they were coming after him because he, had, he was a man with vision, vision for the gospel. You see, scholars believe that Paul died no later than the age between 60, late 60, mid 60s and 70s. In fact, he lived a very short life, if you would think about it. 60s, died in his 60s, right? But he was a man that lived a short life with a long-term vision. And I want you to write that down maybe if you like taking notes. Do I have a long-term vision? Because the time that God gives you to live today can go by very quickly. You, we think about it, we have anywhere between uh, six to seven weeks left in the year. The year has gone by fast. And although maybe you would think, well, you know, I have a, I've lived a short life, I have little resources. The year has gone by so fast. 
Life is very short, but we, as with a short life, can have a long-term vision. What is your long-term vision? Do you have a vision that lasts, a vision that will produce, that has legacy, legacy vision? Because Paul had a vision that was a long-term vision. We're going to see three things, major things, in the life of Paul. Because Paul was a man that was extremely radical. And he was a man that used that same radical spirit that he was used for the world. He used that radical spirit now for the Lord. He was not shy about it. The same way that he went out of his way to serve his flesh when he was out in the world, he used that same passion to go and serve the Lord now. And we're going to learn three major things. Number one, we are learning that Paul, in Acts 9, he was one, a chosen vessel. Number one, he was a chosen vessel. Paul was a chosen vessel. Number two, Paul was a bondservant of the Lord. You see that in many times in Scripture, he identifies himself as a bondservant of God. Number one, he's a chosen vessel. We see a radical conversion. Number two, we see he's a bondservant of the Lord, a radical consecration. He was all given over to God as a prisoner, as a bondservant, as a slave to God, consecrated to holiness, separated for holiness. He was number two, a bondservant of the Lord. And number three, we see at the end of his life, he calls himself a drink offering. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be a chosen vessel. I want to be a bondservant of the Lord. And I want to be a drink offering. Because all of those are signs of worship to God. How many of us here know that worship isn't 30 minutes of a song? It's not a mu music that you hear on your way to work. Worship is a lifestyle. And a lifestyle of when you're a chosen vessel, a bondservant of the Lord, and a drink offering. All of that's worship. But let's study those three areas in where Paul was, first of all, a chosen vessel. This man that was going on a mission to persecute the church. You all here have a personal mission that you're on. I don't know if that mission aligns with the Word of God. Only you know that. You have your own agenda in your heart that you aspire with short and long-term goals. And where you want to do something, but... Here we see that Paul's now goals were realigned because in Acts chapter 9, what did he want to do? He wanted to go out and persecute the church. It says this, then Acts 9 verse 1, Saul still breathing threats. Notice that his name is Saul at the time. His name is later than changed to Paul. Here we know him as Saul of Tarsus. And God does a total identity change in him when he takes his life. He changes his identity. I love that about the Lord. That's what the Lord does. He changes you from the inside. Everything about you is different. It's not just one area. It's not one portion of your life that has changed. Your entire life has changed. And it said, Saul breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the church of the Lord Jesus went to the high priest. I love this here. That he went to the high priest of the day, but he was then met on the way there by the very high priest himself, Jesus, on the road to Damascus. It said, and he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, notice that that was what they called the church or the Christians, those of the way. Verse 2, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He might arrest them. He wanted to arrest the church. Notice he goes in with the intention to arrest, but he leaves arrested by the Holy Spirit. I want to be arrested by the Holy Spirit where we're submitted 
under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And he goes here now and he says, and he journeyed, he was on a mission, write that down. Verse 3, and he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let's pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Because a man, Lord, that was headed a direction, Lord, so lost, twisted in his thoughts in regards to you, Lord. That you stopped him, that you, Lord, intervened, that you intercepted, that you interrupted, Lord, his day that day, Lord. I pray that you would do that for us today, too. That you did all that for him, Lord Jesus, so that there would be a radical conversion from death to life, from darkness to light. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. Amen. So we see here that Paul is advocating against the Lord. He was breathing in threats, or every breath that he took was a threat against the church. Think about that. Every breath that Paul took or Saul took was a threat against the church. Every breath was a threat against the will of God. And he goes to the high priest. He asks for letters to bring bound those of Jerusalem that were of the way, to bring them bound now, arrest them, and they would torture them. They would arrest them and persecute the church because they were following Jesus Christ. And Paul said, no. Here Saul said, no, you're not going to follow Jesus Christ. He was there, in fact, the first martyr of the church, Stephen. He was consenting. He was approving of the stoning of Stephen. Because Stephen followed Jesus Christ. And in verse 3 here, it tells us, and as he journeyed, I want you to underline that and say, as he went on a mission. As he was on a mission. He was on a journey. Because all of us are on a personal mission as well. That something happened. The Lord interrupted that time. And it said here that suddenly, it wasn't planned. It was something suddenly here. That a light shone around him from heaven. Notice that. It was a light from heaven. And what does this light do? Because it wasn't just any kind of light. It was a very strong light that was shining around this man that was full of pride attacking the church. He was attacking the church. Do you know that the world is on a mission to attack the church? Do you know that there is an antichrist spirit today that is attacking the church, that is attacking the Word of God? The attitude, the spirit that, that the world has? But it tells us here, And he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying, Now, now he fell on the ground here out of fear, out of weakness, out of vulnerability, and he heard this voice that was saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, write your name there. Do you remember the time where God called you and He said your name and He said, why are you fighting against me? Because God had a plan here for Saul. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting here me? And we see this here in verse 4. Why are you fighting against me? Are you fighting against God right now? Fighting against God's will? Are you fighting against His will? Because it tells us then, it goes on and it says here, And he said, Who are you, Lord? Notice that all the fear in Paul, this man that's so determined, with the letters, with the authority from the high priest, he's thinking that he has all the authority, that he's in charge now. That's the worst time in our lives when we think we're in charge and we have the authority because Paul here was quickly humbled. That's what we need. The Lord needs to humble us. The first thing that, Paul, that the Lord had to do to Paul, the Solitar, is to humble him. And I, and I really know that that's what the Lord does for us. He humbles us so then He can use us after. But He says, Who are you, Lord? He's asking Him, Who, who is this? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. 
He didn't say, I'm just God, I'm a higher being. He said, I'm Jesus here, whom you are persecuting or who you are fighting against. Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Now we're seeing the story of his conversion and how God met him. And understand this, do you remember when God was calling you? And you were fighting against God. And he said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. Isn't it painful here for you to kick against the goads? What are the goads? You would ask yourself, well, oxen here would be pushed and, and now aligned through goads. Or it was a stick here with a long, sharp end that a farmer would poke on the oxen. And every time the oxen would kick back, it would, it would hurt the oxen. When the oxen was resisting the direction that the farmer wanted the oxen to go, he would kick against that and it would hurt the oxen. Now he's saying here, why are you persecuting me in verse 5 and 6? Now persecuting me, he means why are you resisting me? Why are you being stubborn? Why are you fighting against me, of fighting against the direction of what I have for your life? Have you ever felt in your life that you're resisting him? That you're fighting against him? That maybe you are being stubborn and fighting against the will of God. That you're kicking against the goats. Do you know how painful it is when we kick against the will of God? How painful is it? How, how much of a heartache we go through, a heartache that we go through when we're resisting the will of God. And then we ask ourselves, why is it that we are in the position that we are in? Why are we living in rebellion to the will of God? Well, here he's saying, why is it that you're fighting in rebellion being stubborn against my plan for your life, Paul? So he, tre he trembling said, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, here is a man that was in charge that nobody ever told him what to do. That he managed his own now mission. That he was on a journey that nobody told him what to do. And now he is on his face now receiving his new orders for his new mission. Do you know that every time you open the word of God, you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You're ready to receive your orders for that mission that God has you on. Are you ready to receive the orders that God has for you? Because he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the best place that me and you should be in. Did you know that today? We're going before and falling on our face before the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do being humbled that way? It wasn't what I want to do. That's the reason why we sometimes fall into problems in life, in ministry, at church, because we want to say, Lord, this is what I want to do. What would, it, what would happen if you changed that from what I want to do to, Lord, what do you want me to do? What does the Lord want you to do today? Ask yourself, do you know what He wants you to do? Have you asked him, Lord, what do you want me to do? It went from what Paul wanted to do, but what the Lord wanted for Paul and what he wanted him to do. And the Lord said to him, arise and go. Look at this commission. It was a mandatory. This conversion began with the commission here of humbling him. And he's saying, I want you to now arise and I want you to go. It wasn't an option. It was an obligation. Do you know that when God gives you a, com a commission, it's not an option, it's an obligation. He wants you to stand up and He wants you to go. And sometimes we treat that commission as an omission and we don't do it. And we disobey. When it comes to God's will, you, you don't argue, don't delay, and don't disobey. <laughs> Have you ever argued against something that God wants you? But God, when it comes to God's will, don't argue. Don't delay and don't disobey. This was something that he must do. He said, arise and go into the city and you will be told. This is why we know it's an obligation in order what you must do. Do you want to know what you must do? 
What must I do? Not what I want to do, what must I do? But which, because what you must do is very different sometimes from what you want to do. And that's what you have to ask the Lord. Lord, I want to know what I must do in your will. Not what I want to do. What must I do, Lord? This is, this is an attitude of humility that Paul is learning very quickly. And it says here, And the men went and journeyed with him, stood speeches, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. These men didn't know what was going on. And Saul arose from the ground. And when, he, when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Think about this man. He arose and he was led by the hand now. A man that was in charge, a man that never knew what that looked like, a, a, a man that, that had all the authority, the command presence was taken, that, that was taken away from him and it was replaced with what you cannot see and now someone has to lead you. I, I love that the Lord sometimes disables us. Have you ever felt like the Lord disabled you in a season in your life? You know why He disabled you? Because in leadership, God sometimes has to do that. He has to put men and women in a position of falling on the ground and disables you. He said, you know, I, I want to pause whatever you're doing. I want to get you in that position because I want you to go from self-sufficiency to humility. Self-sufficiency says, I, I have it under control. Humility says, I need someone to lead me. Do you see that? Self-sufficiency says, I have authority in my letters. But humility says, I can't see anything. Someone help me get down to what I must do. The Lord was moving him in that direction. Sometimes we have a problem. We think that we know it all. We don't know nothing. <laughs> Apart from God's word, we're lost. And he wanted to remind him how spiritually blind he was. How spiritually weak he was by physically allowing him to go through this trial. You know what trials teach us as well? We've been going through it through Sunday. They teach us how weak we are. <laughs> how vulnerable we are. How much we need God. Because he started to realize, man, I, I am not only physically blind, he, he learned from his physical, now, blindness, his spiritual blindness as well, that he was missing Jesus. Now in verse 10 it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Let's learn a little lesson from Ananias while we're at it. And, and to him the Lord said in a vision, what was Ananias doing? He was praying and the Lord gave him vision. Notice that prayer comes from vision always. You want a long-term vision, you have to have long-term prayer as well. <laughs> tell me how your prayer life is and I'll tell you how your vision is. Because that's where your vision begins in your prayer. And it said that there was a man at Ananias in Damascus. The Lord was setting it all up. And, Ananias, and the Lord said to Ananias, he spoke to Ananias and he said, Here I am, Lord. Now I want you to underline, Here I am, Lord. Because up to this point, Ananias seems like a godly man. He's praying He's getting vision. All of a sudden, He's available. Here I am, Lord. But it stops there. Have you, ever, have you ever told the Lord, Here I am, Lord? You see, He was available. But look in the next verse. But He wasn't willing. <laughs> I'm available, God. Wait, but I'm not willing. Because Ananias was available to be used by God, but he wasn't willing to go minister to Paul. Notice this, it says this, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, look what Saul is doing now. Saul, he is praying. Here in verse 11 is where Paul's prayer life began immediately after his conversion. Paul's prayer life began. What was Saul doing? He was praying. You're going to find him praying, the Lord tells Ananias. You're going to find him praying. 
And in a vision he has seen, notice this, the vision comes up again. In a vision, what, did Paul, what, what happened while he was praying? Paul also had a vision. And he was seeing a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how this man he has done to your saints of Jerusalem. And he said, and he has authority to, from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You think about, look what happened here. Ananias said, here I am, Lord. But he's saying, don't send me there. Here I am, but I'm not willing to go minister to Saul because he has letters to go bind and arrest people that are Christians and take them back to Jerusalem. Do you see here that this man was filled with excuses? But why was he filled with excuses? Why was he not willing? Because he had fear. He had fear more here, we see here, in the world's authority than in the authority that he had from God. This man Ananias was praying. And God was giving him the authority, the commission to go out and to lay hands on Paul. So that he would receive his sight. But he's saying, no, I fear the authority that Paul has from the world. And he's saying, I'm not willing to go there. You see how he was available, but he wasn't willing. He went from here I am, Lord, to no, not there. I want us to be careful when you're asking the Lord, Lord, here I am, use me. Are you willing to do what he says, go, where he wants you to go next? Because that's, I mean, sometimes we say, Lord, here I am, use me. I want you to use my life. And then there's an opportunity for you to be used by saying, Lord, not there. Lord, not that time. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. Because we, we don't want to do that. You see, when you go to prayer and you're saying, Lord, here I am, you're, you're, you're also saying, Lord, use me. You're saying, I'm obedient. Do you notice that when here Ananias and was going into his prayer life, and when Paul is going into his prayer life, they're going into his prayer life by saying, Lord, speak for your servant listens. You want the Lord to speak to you? Say, Lord, speak. I'm listening. There are times where we go to our prayer life and we're saying, Lord, listen for your servant speaking. <laughs> How do you open up? How do you open up your prayer? Lord, speak for your servant is listening or Lord, listen for your servant is speaking. No, there's a big difference. And look what it goes on and it says here, But the Lord said to him, Go, go here and an eyes, for he is a chosen vessel. Here we see, number one, a chosen vessel. Why? What's a vessel? A vessel is a tool. A vessel is an instrument. A vessel is something that you pour into. Do you notice here that God chose Paul as a vessel, as a tool, as something that he can pour into so that at the end of his life and throughout his life and ministry, Paul can pour out of from that, life, from that vessel that was his life? He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. He's an instrument. He's a tool to take my message. You know what vessels do for the Lord? They take His name. They bear His name. They, 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 they wear the name of Christ. They take the message uh, uh, to the unbelieving and even to the believing here, to the Jews and to the Gentiles with no segregations, with no separations, with no prejudice. And it tells us this, He's a chosen vessel of mine before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I'm going to use Him beyond borders. I'm going to use Him with no limits. That's what the Lord wants to do with chosen vessels. Are you a vessel that God can use today? Are you a chosen, an instrument and where He can use and be on the borders of anything that you can possibly imagine? 
Because he's saying, he is a chosen vessel of mine. He is a tool that I want to use. That, that's what Paul is. I'm calling you to go there. So for, I will show him, verse 16, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now vessels also are called to suffering. You know, when God wants to use you, He's going to take you through seasons of suffering to teach you to experience suffering. And we're learning that through even 2 Corinthians, right? It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on this road came to send me that you may receive your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, it's not only okay that you believe, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul here, who's known as Saul, went in breathing threats, and he went out breathing the Holy Spirit. Every breath was a threat against the church in the beginning. But he left breathing the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went in bound with these letters, and he left bound by the Holy Spirit. I pray that today we would be bound by the Holy Spirit because sometimes we're bound by a job. We're enslaved by a job. We're enslaved by a career. We're enslaved by security, by a promise, by comfort. And we've been sold into and bought into this, this whole security thing where we have to have a job. We have to have a big bank account. We have to be planning for five years from now how retirement looks, how, how, what you're going to accomplish. And, and, and doing this life that is just enslaved to these empty now dreams. Because you think about it, what do they all mean? Do they have a long-term vision? Look at what happens here. He's enslaved now. He's bound by the Holy Spirit now. And you can't argue against the changed life because it tells us here that after, in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received the sight, and at once he arose and was baptized. He believed in Jesus Christ because of the transformation. Scales fell from his eyes, and he was baptized. He's saying, you know what, I'm a new person. That old Saul was dead, the new person is alive. Think about what happened when you got baptized. And it tells us this, so when he had received food and he was straightened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. What did he do? He got saved and then he went with who? The believers. Are you spending time with people from church? Are you spending time with believers? If you want to grow, you know what Paul wanted to do? He got saved, he got baptized, he wanted to grow. I know people all the time who say, I want to grow, but they never hang out with Christian friends. How are you going to grow like that? Yeah, I'm going to, you never fellowship with Christian people. How are you supposed to grow like that when people have different ideologies than you? Different, different views and values than you than in the Word of God. You're not going to grow that way. What does Paul do? His life was changed, so his friends also changed. <laughs> do you notice that? How that awesome that is? His life changed, his friends changed. <laughs> and then notice this now. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he was the Son of God. Verse 20, immediately. He didn't wait. He started to preach after he said, you know what? I, I, he started to confront the religion that was taking place in the synagogue. And all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed all those who called in the name of, of Jesus in Jerusalem? And he has come here for, for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to chief priests. Isn't this man that was against the church and now he's over here preaching Jesus? Has somebody ever seen you after not having seen you for a long time and they see you serving the Lord? Wait, are you serious? You're going to church? No, you're kidding. There's no way. I, and, then, and then they start to become very skeptical, right? And isn't this the man that came with one purpose? But guess what? He left with another. Maybe today you came in with one purpose. I hope that you leave with another one today because you see, I want to be a chosen vessel. I want to be a vessel. A vessel. 
that says, here I am, Lord, use me, a vessel, pour into this vessel, Lord, a chosen vessel like, you, I was, like Paul was. And here you see that you can't even argue against the change of life because in verse 22, and Paul increased all the more and more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Do you prove anything with your life? We're so busy trying to prove something, prove ourselves. Don't prove yourself, prove Jesus. Prove that He is the Christ. Prove that He's the Messiah. It is amazing to me how I see how people advocate for many different reasons when it comes to advocating about Christ, you can't use that same voice. With the same voice, the same energy that Paul used to advocate against the church, that same strength he used to advocate for the church. Why? Because he was standing up for Jesus Christ. He was a vessel. When you're a vessel, your number one purpose is, is what? Jesus. I love this. Because here we see that he was really converted. It's not enough just to believe. You have to be converted. One time somebody told me, you know what? I, I like to use the word saved. I don't like to use the word converted. That's the wrong, that's a horrible theology. <laughs> you know why? Because you teach people that they don't have to change their life. That you're saved, but you don't have to be converted. Paul was converted. There was a radical conversion. You must be born again. You can't say you're saved and not be converted. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't exist. Unconverted, saved people? Where did you get that from? Where did that come from? I pray that you would be converted, that you would be changed. Because that's how the Holy Spirit fills your life. And look what it says now. After many days, the pastor Jews plotted to kill him already. I think it's kind of good sometimes when people don't like you. Because that means you stand for something that they don't. If you want to be liked by the world, I'd be worried because they're accepting you. It's when they don't accept it, you say, all right, it's because I'm standing up for truth. But their plot became known to Saul and they watched him at the gates day and night. Now, they're going to now come against him. And then the disciples took him by night and let him down through a large basket. And when Saul had come down to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Just think about that now. Even in our uh, common culture, right? We see someone get saved, and you see how bad their life was, and now, you know what? We're just going to wait, and we're going to see them backslide. What kind of love is that? What kind, what, kind of, what kind of mentality is that for the church? The church was skeptical instead of the church being missional. Are you skeptical or are you missional? Because the skeptical will say, you know what? We don't believe him. But a missional person, like the person that we're going to read about in the very next verse, said, you know what? Barnabas, whose name means encouragement, said, I'm going to receive him. I'm going to receive him. What does it say here now? And Paul had to come to Jerusalem. They tried to join. But they were afraid of him. The church was skeptical. They, didn't, they weren't expecting people to get saved. I, that's what I think that is so sad. When someone gets saved, then you don't believe it. Aren't you? Isn't that what you were praying for? <laughs> that people get saved? That's the problem with this. We don't want to see people get saved. Get, someone gets saved, we get mad. <laughs> if people get saved, you should be happy they're getting saved. That's the whole point. We've been praying for them to get saved. We've been praying that, the world tur that we turn the world upside down. That people that are known in culture get saved. That our president, that our people in government, that city officials, that Congress people get saved. When people, you hear about them, that they say, Jesus, don't judge them. So praise God that they're standing for Christ. That's the whole point. We've been praying for that. 
But Barnabas, we need Barnabas today, took him and brought him into the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Notice this. What did Paul do immediately? He was baptized. Scales fell from his head. He was from his eyes. He was converted. He wasn't only now saved. He was converted now. There was a transformation. He wanted to join the church. He wanted to be at church. You get saved, you don't want to go to church. You got converted, but you don't want to go to church. That don't make sense. Saul of Tarsus got saved. Guess what he wants to do? He wants to join the church. He wants to join the disciples. But they don't want to receive him. And Barnabas comes, whose name means encouragement. And he brought him along with the other disciples. And look what he tells him. He starts to declare how Paul was preaching. How was he preaching in verse 27? There's a word here. Boldly. He was preaching fearlessly. He was preaching unafraid. Unafraid. Now think about this. And again, the same strength that Paul used to serve the world is the same strength that Paul used to serve Christ. He preached fearlessly, boldly. You know what he was preaching? The gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I determined, I made up my mind when I got saved that I would preach nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the cross of Jesus Christ. He went and he preached that Jesus was God and is God. That only through Him can we have salvation. What do we see here? That Paul instantly becomes that vessel. Do you want to be that vessel? Do you want to be that vessel? Because God wants calling you to be that vessel today. Now let's go quickly to Philippians chapter 1. Because we see not only that he's a vessel, but we see also that he's a bond servant. The Lord called him to be a vessel. And guess what he does? He enlists himself as a slave or as a bond servant of Christ. Not only do you want to be a vessel, I pray that today you would also leave as a bond servant. Lord, make us bond servants. Now, he was, number one, a vessel. Then he was a bond servant. Now, you go from the radical conversion to a radical consecration where he separates himself. I'm a bond servant. A bond servant, the word bond servant in its Greek word means doulos, which means a voluntary slave. It means a slave that loved his master so much in the Old Testament that when his time was up from serving, he would say, you know what, I love you so much, master. And I'm actually going to stay here. <laughs> and I want to live with you. I want to serve you. So the master would take him to the doorpost of his house and he would pierce his ear. And he's saying, you know what? You are here not paying now a sentence as a slave. You are here voluntarily serving me. You've enlisted yourself as a voluntary slave. Isn't that amazing that he says that's the type of consecration he wanted to have? That it was a complete, utter devotion of voluntarily out of love. I'm serving God. I'm subject to Him. I'm fully submitted to Him. I'm devoted to Him. I'm a, I'm a slave to the Lord. I'm enslaved by God. What are you enslaved by today? You are all, we are all slaves. The world is a slave, enslaved by something. You can be slave by, enslaved by money, career, advancement, relationships, family, money, what are you enslaved with? What enslaved you? What has you chained down right now? I love it. In Philippians chapter 1, we see Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. 
Now write this down if you like taking notes. Romans 1.1 Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated by the gospel of God. Romans 1.1 A bond servant. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore prisoner now of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of your calling which which you were called. Philippians 1.1 A bond servant. We saw there. Titus 1.1 Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Do you see here that Paul, before he says he's an apostle, he says he's a bondservant. I love that. Because if there's a title that goes number one in your life, it should be bondservant. Before Paul identified himself with anything else, he identified himself as a bondservant. His self-identification before Paul was anything, he was a servant of God. And you would say, well, the Lord is blessing with this beautiful career. That's amazing. And I believe that. But before you're that, you're a bondservant. <laughs> well, Lord, thank you because you've made me a banker, but I'm a bondservant first. But thank you because you made me a teacher, but I'm a bondservant first of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I'm an apostle. Thank you, Lord, because you've given me, you know, the, the, this, this calling of, of fatherhood or motherhood, but, but you're a bondservant first. You've given me this, this, this role right now as an administrator, as an, an assistant in this role, but you're a bondservant first of Jesus Christ. Do you notice this? That he was a chosen vessel. Number two, he's a bondservant. Are you a bondservant of the Lord? Look what it says in verse 1 of Philippians. Now, bondservants of Jesus to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and here deacons. Now let's go to verse 12. We're going to know that not only was he a bondservant, but he was enslaved physically and also spiritually and in his life. The Lord in verse 12 it says, But I want you to know, brethren, the things that happened to me, the things that happened to me, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know what, what it means to be a bondservant? That I'm in it for the advancement of the gospel. That's my mission. For the furtherance of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel, the suffering that I went as a bondservant was for the furtherance of the gospel. That's what, that's what the goal was, the furtherance of the gospel, so that it became evident. It became evident to the whole palace garden, to the rest, that my chains are in Christ. He was in a cell right here in the palace garden. He said, you know what, it's going to become evident to the whole palace garden that my chains are in Christ. Are, what are you chained to today? Are you chained to your phone? What are you chained to? Because he's saying everything that I suffered was only for the furtherance of the gospel. And I'll give you a few now examples. He says in verse 13, in fact, everybody here knows that my chains are actually in Christ, that I'm a prisoner for Jesus. Paul was here, and because he tells us in verse 13, what does he tell us in verse 13? First, the whole palace guard, all the Roman military he was able to meet. It said that he was chained by two military Roman officers at all times. Paul, you know what it said? That they would rotate. And every time they would rotate, new Roman military officers would be saved. <laughs> you know what's amazing about this? That he got to meet all the Roman military. All the Roman military got the gospel preached because he was arrested. Not only that, he was also here. Here it says here, at the Roman or at the royal house. It tells us here, at the royal house house in verse 13 it says evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in christ now all the royal house and where he was housed in or he was kept in that royal house that royal house 
also knew about Jesus Christ because he was there. Now these are two different places that would have not known the gospel if he wasn't arrested there. <laughs> the Roman military would have not known about the gospel and the royal house would have never known about the gospel if Paul wasn't arrested. Now Paul is saying, this is amazing. I just got a ticket into the royal house by being arrested. <laughs> now we're going to preach here. And all the Roman military officers that are with me, that are binding me, they get the gospel as well. What is he? He's a slave to the Lord. He's a slave to the Lord. And it says here in verse now 14, as we continue reading, and most of the brethren in the Lord, most, notice here, not all, but most, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice that not only was he bold, but he also produced boldness in others. Why? Because a chosen vessel was living a life of boldness, but also others, when they saw Paul's life, they said, we also want to live that way. When people see your life, do they have an example? I want to also live that way. Or do they say, man, I don't want to live that way. <laughs> That's playing it way too safe for the Lord. There are some times when people are serving in ministry, and I, and I get so convicted on how humble their attitudes are. They say, Lord, I want to have that attitude. Have you ever hung out with someone that's really humble, truly humble, with no intentions, that wants to serve you? Does it convict you because you're prideful? You see, other people are saying, I want to live that way, the way he's living. Do people feel inspired to rise up with boldness because of what you're doing? Are they inspired with boldness, with availability, with service? Here we see that the most powerful witness that you can give your faith is in times of adversity. Because Paul was a chain and others were watching him. They're waiting to see what he would respond. Paul's mission was for me to live as Christ, die as gain. And others saw that. And they said, we want to live that way too. His chains were in Christ. He was enslaved now to a lifestyle of service. He was enslaved. He was a bond servant, enslaved for number one service, enslaved for evangelism. Are you enslaved for evangelism today? Are you enslaved for evangelism, for testimony, for witness? But also, he's also enslaved now for obedience and for holiness. Let's quickly turn to Romans. Because in Romans, he tells the church something else when it comes to being a slave. So what kind of slave? What, what, what was in his mind when he, talk, when he thought slave? What did he think? This is what he thought. When he thought slave in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And having been set free... From sin you have been slaves of righteousness. You're a slave to righteousness now. A slave. You can't leave. That's what you serve now. A slave means you serve your master. That's what a slave does. Is then I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness. Do you remember when you presented your life, your body as a slave to uncleanness? And of lawlessness of breaking God's standard. Leading to more lawlessness, so now present, so now present your members as slave to righteousness for holiness. What was he a slave for? He was a slave for holiness. Are you a slave for holiness? Are you a slave for holiness? We need slave people that are enslaved for holiness, for obedience, just the way you were enslaved to the world, to your master passion, was which which was your flesh, you now have a new master passion, and that's the Lord. Are you enslaved to Him? What are you enslaved to today? 
Because when you gave your life to the Lord, He made you free from that old master, and now you have a new master, and that master came with that passion to serve the Lord. I'm enslaved to that. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. I'm enslaved. I want to serve the Lord. I'm enslaved to it. If there's an opportunity, I want to, with energy, with effort, with time, with the resources, I'm enslaved to it through the Lord. I'm enslaved to God, Paul is saying here. And with that same uh, even hunger, that desire that we use, that, that lawlessness left to lawlessness, not what I'm enslaved to is righteousness that produces holiness. We're not going to go there, but I want you to write 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Because he talks about being enslaved as a vessel now for holiness. A vessel for holiness. Why? Because the highway of holiness is the pathway to usefulness. I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to pick that up. The highway of holiness is the pathway for usefulness. You want to be useful in that pathway of usefulness? Then you need to be living in the highway of holiness. A lot of times we want to live in the highway of carnality and be used by God. It doesn't work that way. The highway of holiness is the pathway of usefulness. Do you notice that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells them, you know, in the gray house, there's both vessels of honor and of dishonor. Just like you go to your house, you have paper plates and then you have the fancy plates. <laughs> God's going to go when he wants to use. He doesn't go to that paper plate. He goes to that fancy, clean, pure gold plate. And he guess what he's going to do? These are for honor. These are for honor. These are, man, we take these out. And we, we don't even take these out for the regular table. We take these out for the other table, right? <laughs> we take these out when there's a special guest in town for honor. God's service is a service of honor. He doesn't use just foul, dirty things for service. He uses things that are honorable. Are you a vessel of honor? Number one, he was a chosen vessel. Number two, we learned that he was a bondservant, enslaved to testimony, enslaved to obedience, and enslaved to holiness. Let's go quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because lastly, he calls himself a drink offering. A drink offering. And we see from the radical conversion to the radical consecration, now to the radical commitment. He's a, now a drink offering. That's how he ends his life. Right? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 8, it tells us this because he's ending his life. And he tells Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the fight. I have finished the. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a prize, a reward, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will give to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to those who have loved His appearing. You know what? This is amazing. He compares himself to a drink offering. You know what a drink offering was? It was a radical commitment. It was an offering. It was an act of worship. A drink offering. In fact, in the Old Testament, they would have grain offering. They would have a, uh, you know, a, a meal offering. They would have a drink offering. And we saw in the drink offering that they would come and grab wine and pour it over at the altar. And the, they would spill it at the ground before the altar. You know what's awesome about a drink offering? That is poured out at the altar. As an offering of worship to God. That's what he said. My life has been poured out at the altar as worship to God. That's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. My life is an act of worship that's been poured out at the altar as an offering to God. My offering wasn't just 
that what I put in the bucket, my life was what I laid down for the Lord. He was a drink offering. Now, think about this. Poured out. In verse 8, I am being poured out. What, how do you pour something out? You don't pour something out by measure. I am not holding back. He held nothing back at the end of his life. There were no regrets. I, I want to live a life that if the Lord comes today, that if he calls me home today, and you too, I pray that you would live that life, that you would have no regrets on how you served him. Because Paul had no regrets. He was poured out. He was poor. He had no he can fit, he can die at peace because he knew he was going to go to the Lord and he had no regrets. That's how much he lived trusting God. He had no regrets. He, had no, he wasn't holding anything back. He was a drink offering being poured out on the ground at the altar before the Lord. And the time of his departure is at hand, and he's so expecting to see the Lord. It says here, the time of departure is at hand. I have fought the fight. I fought that fight. I finished the race. I didn't just run in the race. I finished the race. Christians that are just wanting to run in the race but don't want to finish the race. He's saying, I have, I have endurance. I have the spirit of a marathon runner and I kept the faith. I faithfully followed the Lord. This was a complete giving up without reservations. If you have reservations today, I hope that you say to the Lord, Lord, there are no more reservations. Use it all. Have you ever been somewhere and there's reservations on the seats? And you can't sit there. Oh, you can't sit there. There's a reservation. <laughs> oh, you can't use that table. There's a reservation there too. Oh, you can't enjoy that. There's a reservation there too. Sometimes that's how our life looks to the Lord. Oh, Lord, oh, there's a reservation right there, God. You can't use that. <laughs> oh, there's another reservation here. You have to go all the way to the back and then you can use that, Lord. Take off all the reservation signs from your life. And that's what you'll be poured out as an offering. You have some reservations on your account? Take those off. The reservations. Because those reservations are there for you. And say, I'm being poured out as a drink. Use it all, God. Use it all, God. A complete giving out without security, without comfort. I'm trusting God. I'm following God. Here we go. With reckless abandonment. You know what that looks like? Reckless abandonment? Reckless abandonment is that you're not scared of losing. You're not scared of taking a loss. Are you scared of taking a loss? That's why you're not serving the Lord the way you're supposed to be serving Him. You're too scared that you're going to take a lot. You're going to lose your time. You're going to lose. You're going to get someone upset. You're so scared that you're not going to know what's going to happen in the future if you give that to God. The worst loss is having not served the Lord as a drink offering. Because a drink offering just comes at the altar and pours itself out and says, I have nothing left to give. I have nothing left. I've been poured out and I've finished the race. Are you poured out at the altar? Why don't we pray today that God would not only give us a heart to be the chosen vessel, but that that vessel would be a bond servant for holiness, for testimony, for obedience. And at the end of our lives, we would say, I had no reservations. I, had no, I was poured out as a drink offering of service to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we ask right now, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit,